From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. Today, as we continue in 1 John chapter 5, we come to more of John's teaching on truth. If you've been with us through this series, then you know that truth is one of the main subjects John brings up in his letter. As Pastor Clay is going to explain in just a moment, God has given us a witness to know His truth and therefore be able to recognize untruth. Now here's Pastor Clay. Last week we started in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. We only got a few verses into it, and we were looking at a, a very important truth in our life. And I did something last week that, that I, as I confessed, I've not done in a while. And there's, there's no fast or hard rule that says you have to do this, but I, I just do this from time to time. I like to bring out what I call a BP square. Uh, and BP square stands for the big picture biblical principle if we're not here. Um, and so uh, last week I brought up a BP square for. Uh, this passage, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, the BP squared, because you see it's already on the screen, uh, believe. It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Now, if you were here last week, you know what that, you probably have some idea of what that means. That uh, it's not a complicated thing. God didn't make this complicated. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there really is the same story running over and over again. It's, it's different characters, it's different uh, things going on, different settings, different times, all that kind of stuff. But it's the central message that's running through uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the great uh, preacher W.A. Crystal used to call it the scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation. told the same love story that God loves us, that God has this, this plan for our lives, and that God has come to redeem us. And this is the story that you find in uh, God's Word. So, uh, the BP square that we're looking at today is it's not complicated, but it's not easy either. And uh, I'm going to read the text as we go today for time because later on we'll be going to the Lord's Supper. Good. I, I may just keep shouting since I like it. I don't know. Uh, we're going. We're alive. And so uh, we have the Lord's Supper. We certainly want to uh, have time to, to reflect and, and think about that. Let me say this also. Uh, yeah, we're, we're on, guys, back there, if y'all are wondering. Uh, let me say this also, if you're a guest here, uh, the Lord's Supper is, is open to individuals who know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, whether you're here for the first time or, or the thousandth time or whatever the case may be. If you know Christ and you're living your life according to His will, uh, as, as we say right here, it is the Lord's Supper. It doesn't walk to us. Uh, I don't believe it's the Lord's Supper. And so you're welcome to participate in it if uh, you desire to do so uh, today. Also, if you have a gluten allergy, we do have a small white as crackers, so you can participate as well in the commemoration today. Okay, last week, uh, in looking at this big picture building curriculum, it's not complicated, it's not easy either. We started with this idea uh, last week. Belief promotes obedience to God's commands. Uh, that's already filled in on your outline. You may remember that if you were here last week. That, that if your belief is genuine, this belief is real, that you have. Remember, that's, that's basically what the entire book of 1 John is about. Hey, here's how you can know if your belief, if your faith is authentic. It's the real deal. If it, if it brings you into the family of God, if it gets you into heaven, uh, this is how you can know that it's this kind of belief. And I've said it throughout the series, a couple times thing, and I'll say it again. The very fact that the Spirit of God leads John to write an entire book about this must mean that even back then there was there was the potential to misunderstand what 
saving faith is, what genuine, authentic belief is. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, uh, how, how some people's idea of belief is just this intellectual acknowledgement, and that God says, no, there's way more than that. So last week we started the idea that belief promotes obedience to God's commands. And I'm going to read it to you at verse 1 through 3. Uh, and I did this last week. I'll give it to you again from the New Living Translation. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Now watch it. I'm further clarify. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And we know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God, you can say it again, loving God means keeping His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments, that what He lays out in His Word, you can call them do's and don'ts, you can call them whatever, what they, whatever, we call them whatever you want, but what you cannot call them is recommendations. They're not recommendations, they're God's, they are thus says the Lord. Here's how your life ought to look, here's how you ought to act. Not because of any reason other than I love you and I want what is best for you. So I'm going to draw some parameters for your life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some things in your heart. I'm going to tell you some things you should do. I'm going to tell you some things you should do. Uh, and, and I'm laying this all out for you so that you can have the best life you can possibly have here, even in, in its imperfections, and someday you can have eternity with me as a result of your, your genuine authentic belief in me. But it will change you because you want to be obedient to the Lord God Almighty. And I gave you this verse last week. I'll give it to you again. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And it's really just that simple. Why, why, why even bother with this? Why show up for church? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? Well, what does he say? It, it's in, which, by the way, I heard the other, I heard a statistic the other day on uh, TV uh, because the new Bible. Uh, museum open in Washington, D.C. Have y'all seen that, that, that commercial board or, or whatever? It's supposed to be unbelievably spectacular. It's the Bible Museum in D.C. If you get there, you ought to go see it. But uh, the local news was doing a storyline, and they were talking about the fact that Bible illiteracy is at an all-time high. I, yeah, they, they could, I could have told them that. Just, just my experience in the world and that sort of thing. Um, people... Many people don't know the Word of God, and so it's hard to, to do what God asks you to do, what He wants you to do, how He guides you, if you don't know uh, what He's already said for you to do. You understand? Okay. So, uh, that, that was the first one we looked at, that it, 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 will, it will cause you to want to be obedient. Here was the second idea that we shared last week. Belief produces victory over the world's pull. Belief, if this belief is real, if it's authentic, this, if it's real saving faith belief, it will, it will help you gain victory. It will produce victory over the world's pull. In verses 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Who is the one? Who is it that overcomes the world? Finish it. Finish it. He who believes. Not just Jesus. Yes, Jesus overcome the world. But what does he say? Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is... And we're defining what that belief means. That the person that has that real authentic belief, they're able to overcome the world. Not, not by our own strength, not by our own skills or abilities or anything, but by the, by the power of the Spirit working in us as we surrender our lives to Him and, and we, we learn to experience His victory. The world is always pulling, isn't it? 
your belief is real, you, you should experience victory in areas of your life. Jesus said this in, in chapter back in verse four, uh, chapter four. He says, "You're from God, little children, and overcome and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. There is a work in the world. There is a demonic force. There is all that influence. We know that that's going on. But who's greater? Yeah, yeah, He is. He's greater, and He wants the best for you. So it stands to reason that He's." work in you and empower you to have victory. Doesn't mean you get it right all the time. Doesn't mean it certainly doesn't mean that we're that we reach sinless perfection or anything else like that. But you should begin to experience some victory in your life. And I asked you that question last week. If you were here you may remember I asked this question, am I seeing victory in my life over the world's pull? That's the question that you need to ask about whatever the particular whatever the particular pull is for you. And, and, and some, obviously there's some overlapping and there can be several things, but there's probably usually an area that you struggle with, that you're weak in, whether it's fear or anxiety or, or guilt or lust or greed or, you know, there's lots of stuff. The world is just always clamoring for us to, to move towards, to move away from God. And so to ask that question, to back up the page and ask myself that question, Clay, am, am I experiencing victory in my life? Am I seeing God uh, conquer certain things in my life that, that used to beset me or I had trouble with or, or this or that? That's, that's a characteristic, apparently, John says, of what genuine, authentic belief should happen that if, if the belief is real. Okay? All right. So let's get to the uh, third uh, part of this today. We'll break that down even further. But uh, belief presents a witness from God's truth. Here's the new one for this week. Belief presents a witness from God's truth. Now, I'm not going to read 6 through 12 right here. I'm going to read it as we make our way through the text. But one of the things that you're going to see as we make our way through the text, and perhaps you've already read it, and have, but as you make your way through the text, you'll find that the, the, the text takes a much more theological turn. Uh, it, it, it moves into this idea again of truth, which shouldn't surprise us because John has, has pounded this in 1 John, right? This is one of the characteristics that shows up again and again in uh, John's letter is that there is this truth, this idea of truth and knowing truth. And that makes sense, right? I mean, you want to know that what you believe is true. I mean, that, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know that if what, what you believe is true, you, you want to know that, wouldn't you? And so uh, the, the, the text is going to take this turn towards theological truth and understanding this truth and how that impacts and applies to our life. But quite honestly, we live in a time and in an age where more and more truth is becoming relative. Uh, surveys done show that a significant percentage of our population today no longer believe in absolute Truth that that there absolutely something is right and something is wrong. A, a significant percentage of our culture no longer believe in absolute truth. At least not absolute moral truth as God defined it. There's a significant portion of our culture. Maybe some of you sitting out there today, because people people say things like, "Well, you know that that may be true for you, but it, it's not necessarily true for me." Listen, something isn't true. Or untrue because I think it is or it isn't. Something isn't true or untrue because the majority of the population thinks it is or it isn't. Something isn't true or untrue because 
Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, Judge Dredd, or Supreme Court judge declares that something is true or untrue, right or, or wrong. Something is true because there is one and only one source for truth, and that is God Almighty. One source for truth, which, by the way, is why, sidebar, why is there such a push in our culture today, like, I, 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 truly, I think I'm saying to say, like never before, uh, this push toward uh, convincing people that God doesn't exist. Because if God doesn't exist, then there is no absolute truth. There is no way to determine what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is untrue. It's left to each person to determine that for themselves. So there is a significant push um, by those uh, forces in the world that would try and drive people in that direction. So understanding truth is really, really important for our lives. Now, uh, if my belief is genuine and true, there will be this uh, component of truth in my life. Let me explain what I mean by that by breaking it down into these different parts. There is a physical component to the truth. There is a physical component to this truth. Let me read the text um, in uh, verse, uh, verse 6. It says, This is the one who came by water and blood. So we're picking it up. This is 6 through 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. That's a strange passage, isn't it? <laughs> this is the one who came by water and by blood. Take that back off of the real please, sir. The second. Uh, this is the one who came by water and blood. Not water only, but with by, by the water and with the blood. There have been different ideas suggested as to what was meant uh, by that. What is John talking about? What is his water? What is his blood? There have been several ideas offered up. The one most generally accepted by the majority of biblical scholars and uh, pastors throughout history has been that what John is saying is that uh, in his reference to the water, he's referring to Jesus' baptism, the beginning of his earthly ministry. And in the blood, in John's reference to the blood, he's referring to the crucifixion, the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. The water represents his baptism. That's when he began his, his earthly ministry, began to prove that who he was. Uh, the blood represents uh, his crucifixion, uh, which culminated his earthly ministry, brought victory to our lives and, and all that kind of stuff. It's those two. And that's what it represents. Uh, some of you may remember, again, if you've been in this series, that uh, early on in the series, I mentioned something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, uh, or the Gnostics, were a group of people who had, uh, had some different ideas and different beliefs, and they were, they were infiltrating uh, the church, and they were, they were bringing untruth into the church. The, the Gnostics claimed that they had a, a secret knowledge, that not everybody had it. The original disciples, that they didn't have it. The church, as it was growing then, they didn't have it. That, that we have this secret knowledge, and we're willing to pass it on to you, but, but you have to become one of us. You have to come, you have to believe in what we believe. It was the secret knowledge that the Gnostics had. I think I said this weeks ago, but I'll say it again. When somebody comes to you and claims that they've got some word that's, that, that nobody else has, or that doesn't line up with the word of God, run as fast as you can in the other direction. Uh, because because this is, this is not a secret, right? God's not keeping a secret. 
trying to reveal to us what he has in store for us. So Gnostics said we haven't got the secret knowledge. Now part of their belief system was the idea that Jesus was just a man. He was just a physical man born of Mary and Joseph. It was like who the Spirit of God came upon at his baptism. He was just a man, but the Spirit of God came upon him at his baptism. But then that the Spirit of God left him before his crucifixion, before he died on the cross. If he even died on the cross. I'm not sure what the Gnostics actually say about that. But you understand what I'm saying? Jesus just a man. The Spirit came on him at his baptism when he was ready to start his ministry. And before he, he got himself killed, the Spirit of God came back often. Because for the Gnostics, the idea, and, the, and you'll still find people who would say this today, the idea that God would become a literal, physical human being. And then the idea that, that God would literally, physically die. Die at all, much less this, this shameful, ignominious way of death on a cross. The Gnostics, they, they, they couldn't jive that with their concept of who they, their preconceived notion of who they thought God should be. You understand what I'm saying? And, and how God would act. And so the Gnostics rejected all of that and they said, no, no, um, he, he just came on him for a season. And John says, no. No, he was God before his baptism. He was God at his baptism. He was God at the cross. And it was God that walked out of that tomb three days later. There's a physical component to the truth. And that's a non-negotiable for genuine Christian belief. You understand? That he, that God Almighty, God himself, literally, physically died on that cross, conquering death, hell, and the grave, when he walked out of that tomb, offering salvation to anyone who would place their faith in his finished work on the cross. That's a non-negotiable for genuine, authentic belief. Okay? It's a physical component of truth. And, and, and if somebody says, well, you know, I don't know if God, if Jesus was actually, oh, I don't know that it's a non-negotiable where, where God is. Okay? So there's, a, there's physical component. The second part is uh, there is a spiritual component to the truth. There's, there's a physical component and there is a spiritual component. Look at uh, verse 6, the latter part of verse 6 again. It is the Spirit, notice the capital S, meaning the, referring to the Holy Spirit, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is what? The truth. It is the Spirit who testifies because, because the Spirit is the truth. This, this is that spiritual component that, that John says, if you believe it genuine, the presence of the Holy Spirit will be in your life and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth. He will, he will aid you, He empowers us, He convicts us, he, he comforts us, He does all of those things, but because He is the truth, He will guide us to truth. And if your belief system is authentic and genuine, you will have that component in your life. You'll have the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that, you know, God spoke to me and said this. God spoke to me. I'm saying that the Spirit of God is in you and you'll sense, as you surrender to Him, you'll sense His directing you toward what is truth in your life. Not just the truth about God. Obviously, that's not just the truth about God, but the truth about yourself. 
The truth about sin. The truth about the world. That's what the Spirit does. He, he guides us into what is the truth. And this is not even this is not new for John. He says the same thing in his gospel letter in uh, uh, John chapter 16. He says, but when He, the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus talking. Who's He talking about? Who's He talking about? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, yeah. It's not complicated. But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will what? Guide you into all truth. John's saying that same thing again in his gospel account. This is this is nothing new. Spirit of God guides us in truth. So there's a spiritual component in, in this thing. But I'll then quickly add the third one, because we need to understand this. There is a cooperative component to the truth. This physical component of the truth and the spiritual component of the truth will work together. Now watch what he says. In verses uh, 7 and 8. For there are three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are what? In agreement. There are three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. In, in Jewish custom, in Jewish culture, uh, you had to have at least two witnesses for something to be considered true. That uh, if you had two witnesses, then okay, then can substantiate that this is true. So God brings three witnesses, two of them the physical, one of them the spiritual, to verify this truth that He has He said that He has said that these two will work together. In other words, the Spirit, y'all with me? With me? The Spirit when He leads you. He will never lead you into something that conflicts with the physical truth that He's already revealed in, in His Word. You understand what He's saying? He'll, he'll never lead you into doing something that is contrary to that. It's important that you understand that because, again, do you remember one chapter back, 1 John chapter 4, remember verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And back in chapter 4, we talked about that. We talked about the demonic influence, the, the, the demonic spirits that work and, and, that, and that, that will deceive people and will lead people astray. And the, the, the physical, the false prophets who were, who were out there, Gnostics and others who were out there and were, again, deceiving people, leading them into untruth. And so that's going on out there. And so John, in chapter 4, now in chapter 5, he's clearly talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Clearly, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. But in chapter 4, he says, now listen, you better, you, you got to check, you got to check your source of truth. You need to check your source of truth and make sure that, that, that what you're hearing is true. For, for instance, spiritual and physical. For instance, I, uh, in, in conversations I've had with people of other belief systems, I've sometimes had people tell me that they know that what they believe is true because they've had a, because they had a, a feeling, a, a spiritual uh, encounter, a spiritual feeling. And I want to say this, that, that when they say that to me, I, I, I'm, I'm quite sure that they are being sincere. But listen to me. You can be sincerely wrong. You can. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be misled and with uh, uh, Mormons and or Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know which one I had a conversation with. Uh, but when they, uh, both of them will like to give you literature to come to your door. But when they come to my door, I, I haven't had occasion where they wanted to give me some literature. 
that's part of their belief system. And when I ask them, how can I know if this is, is true or not? How can I know if what you're giving me is true or not? The response I have gotten, maybe if you've had a conversation like this at your, at your house, maybe you've heard this as well, because I think this is part of their, their pat answer. Well, you just read the material and, and let your heart guide you. Just, 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 just let the Spirit speak to you. Just, just, he'll guide your heart. Just trust your heart uh, to let you know whether it's true or not. Why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever want to take what my heart feels as gospel? In fact, the prophet uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all things and desperately wicked. Who, 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 can, who can understand it? Who can, who, can, who can trust this thing? Understand what he's saying? You can't. Listen, I, I'm just telling you, from a lot of years of trying to walk with Jesus and a good many years in ministry now, when somebody comes to me about some belief that they have or some idea that they have, and the conversation starts with, well, I just feel like, I'm just telling you, 99 times out of 100, they're headed out of the will of God and they're headed into trouble. Because, because the Spirit will never lead you to do something that doesn't jive with the physical component. You understand what I'm saying? So, for instance, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying that all feelings are bad. Don't hear me say, I'm not saying all feelings are bad. You may feel God leading you in your life and that kind of stuff. It's just going to line up with the physical component. But if somebody says to me, for instance, or says to Matt, man, I, I just... Uh, I just, I just, the spirit was just all over the service today. I just so, worship was awesome. I, I, it gave me goosebumps. Listen, it's fantastic. Great. Love them goosebumps. But please understand, the spirit's presence is not predicated on whether you have goosebumps or not. The spirit's presence is predicated on the truth of his word. It, we're, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 18 and verse uh, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I with them. But that's, so, so if you feel that I've felt the Spirit, great. I'm just saying, it, it, that's, that's, you understand? These two components will work together in your life. Again, uh, Jesus, John chapter 15, said this. When the Helper comes from I send to you, Father, that is the Spirit of truth that proceeds from me, He will testify about me. That, that those two will work together in conjunction. So there's a physical component, there's a spiritual component, there's a, a cooperating component between those, and then uh, fourth, there is an assuring component to the truth. Starting in verse 9. We accept human testimony. Listen, John, John's just reasoning through this. We accept human testimony. God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony that He has given us about His Son. Those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. Those who don't believe God have made God a liar. They have to believe the testimony that God has given about His Son. This is the testimony. Here it is. God has given us eternal life. This life is found in His Son. 
and the person who has the Son, has genuine, authentic, real, biblical belief in the Son, has this life. What do you have? Life. This, this eternal, forever, God-empowering, God-granted, God-purchasing life. The person who doesn't have the Son of God doesn't have this life. Well, maybe there, maybe there are other ways. Well, person who doesn't have the Son of God doesn't have this life. I've written this to those who believe in the Son of God so that they will know that they have eternal life. So that you will know that you have the assurance that you know that you have eternal life. But I like when we, we were watching a video last week. We just we got into this discussion. I told her to talk about that, uh, that subject uh, this week. And that is the, the original disciples. Those original 12 men, minus uh, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Uh, because he did not believe that he was the Savior. But of those original uh, disciples, the original the apostles, every single one of them, and this week we know historically, every single one of them suffered imprisonment, beatings, torture, all kinds of stuff, and Church tradition holds that the that every single one of them, with the exception of John, who supposedly died of old age, every single one of them suffered a horrible, cruel death as a result of their their unrelenting belief in Jesus Christ. According to church tradition, uh, just a few of the ways in which they died included crucifixion. It is, it is reported that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he did not believe he was worthy to die in the same way that the Savior had died. And he was granted that wish. Beheading, run through with a spear, burned in fire, skinned alive, to name a few. Now the question then becomes, why? Why would anyone do this? Why would anyone experience such a thing as that, go through such a thing as that, if they didn't have to, which they didn't have to, if they would recant of their belief? But not a single one of them ever recanted. We know that historically. Not a single one of them ever recanted. They never backed down from their belief. They never backed away from their calling. They never backed off of the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Why would you do that? If you knew that it was a lie, which you certainly would have known if you were one of those original disciples. If anybody knew that this whole resurrection thing was a hoax, it would have been those original disciples. And not a single one of them recanted, and every single one of them went to their death believing that this thing was absolutely true. Why? Why in the world would someone possibly do that? There is one and only one explanation for this. There is only one answer. They absolutely believed that it was true. They had the absolute assurance that what they experienced, what they heard, and what they saw was true. And it gave them an assurance to their life to face whatever they would face, whatever they would have to go through, whatever they would have to experience meant nothing in 
comparison to this assurance that they had of what eternity will be for all of us. Listen, the Apostle Paul kind of addresses it in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Apostle Paul's got to do a thing or two about suffering. I've read much of Kevin's life. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now, what has Paul entrusted for God to guard? For Jesus to guard? His very eternal destiny. His eternal life. Life after the grave and the life that he was experiencing then. Every bit of it, he's cast in with Jesus. He says, I, I'm, I'm convinced of this. I know there's no him. Some, some of those old people know that, that him. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It is this assurance that comes. If your belief is real, if your truth is real, then there is this assurance that should come into your life as a result of it. Listen. Apostle Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians, says this. That is why, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, it won't last long. I understand. They don't feel small to you. Okay? I understand. But Paul's speaking from a different perspective. The perspective that all of us should be looking for. But he says, For our present troubles are small, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last. I'm sorry, what was that next word? I, I, forever. What? Forever? Forever. Forever? How long? Forever. Huh? So, watch this. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. <laughs> We, we can just park there, right? But right now, right now, in your head, they're swirling around, aren't they? Those trucks, those things, right? And, they're, and they are, they're just there, and right? So right, we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we watch this fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll finish in a second. I'll say this to you. This, that right there is absolutely the key to success in your life. That's it. We fix our gaze. Not, not, not down here. Because what? Because the world is always saying, hey, hey, come look over here. Look over here. Lust for this. Hey, come over here. Come over here. Uh, be fearful about this. Hey, hey, be anxious about this thing. Hey, come at this over here. Come, you want that? You'll be happy. The world is always doing that, right? And we're like, like, okay, I'm The Apostle Paul says, stop, stop. Unless you just want to live your life in this. Look up here. Gaze. I, I didn't look it up in the Greek, but I'm quite sure it, it carries the idea of an absolute fix. For the things we see now, 
soon be gone. Again, I know it doesn't feel like it. I know. I, I have those things. I know it doesn't feel like it. Things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last. Is that word again? In a court of law, a witness is important for verifying the truth. In today's message, Pastor Clay showed us how God has given us multiple witnesses to His truth. As John said in the passage we studied today, anyone that does not believe God's witnesses makes God out to be a liar because He has given us His truth. In a world where many people want to make the truth whatever they want it to be, it's important to remember that there is really only one source for truth, and that source is God. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Rollins, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.